Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to You Decide 2023, the race for Jacksonville Mayor. This is a special edition of Jacksonville's Morning News on 104.5 WOKV. Live from the Farrah and Farrah Performance Studio, here's Rich Jones and April Davis. And we welcome you in to the Farrah and Farrah Performance Studio as we are now T-minus four weeks until the first election in Duval County. On this February 21st, Tuesday, it's also the last day of April to register to vote in Duval County. So newbies to Duval County got to get registered to vote, right? That's this right. is the day to make it happen. And early voting begins in just under two weeks, which is why it's so important that we really get to know the candidates because so many, can uh, so many people decide that they want to vote early. Not often. It's not Chicago politics. This is Jacksonville, Florida, after all. Right. But this is the day that matters because you have to register to vote if you want to have a say in the first mayoral race between uh, a number of candidates. Yeah, several candidates, including Al Ferrero, and he is joining us this morning. Thank you. Uh, wanted to welcome you and just give a little background for Mr. Ferrero. He is serving your second, his second term for the city council here in Jacksonville. So serving since 2015 and your family history. You've been here since 1977, so a longtime Jacksonville resident, married 33 years, and also has a daughter, we just learned, getting her PhD. So that's exciting. So you're an empty nester now. And uh, you also have a small business here in Jacksonville, so you can understand those issues. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me. We appreciate your voice and a voice of 19 on the Jacksonville City Council, Al, where you look at the role that you've been able to play and put your stamp on certain pieces of legislation through the years. But running to be Jacksonville's mayor, to initiate a $1.5 billion budget, not be one of 19 votes, how are you looking at the priorities in terms of overall spending in your first year, knowing that first budget that the new mayor uh, is due right away once you take office, assuming you win? Yeah, priorities, you know, uh, crime. Crime seems to be the biggest thing that people are concerned with, uh, core functions. A lot of the things that I'm supporting are not brand new things. They're things that have not been getting done. And everybody seems to be getting tax increases, but they don't see more happening with their tax dollars. And as we look at the, the tax increases that have happened over the course of multiple years, some of them have been designed to help stabilize pensions, for example, in right. Jacksonville. Do you feel satisfied that, that they are stable now, and is it time maybe, or would it be time maybe, to renegotiate some of those deals that were previously instituted under prior administrations? So um, as far as it comes with our first responders, I think that we're in a really bad situation because we have a lot of people that are going to be leaving. Um, so one of the concerns that I have is uh, pay increases to our first responders because we have a revolving door right now. We're training them, we're spending the money, but they're not staying. After about four years, we're, we're finding that they're leaving to go to places that they can get more money. Who wouldn't? So we need to retain and we need to uh, see what we can do to keep people here at a longer rate. Um, and also that happens in our corrections. Our corrections are having some difficulty as well. And speaking of corrections, do you think the jail and the memorial, police memorial, do you think that should be moved from the riverfront? I know there's been some talk about that. So cost, we got to look at what the cost is to fix it or, or to maintain it and keep it there. I've been at the jail several times. One of the things I do is ride-alongs with the, the police. I try to go into the areas that are having the highest rate of crime. 
And I also go to the jail with them when they drop off uh, new customers. So um, what's happening is our jail is not manned enough. And then if you go into the jail and you listen to them, there are also some building problems that we're having that are real issues that we need to uh, address. So either, either fix them or see about putting a jail in another spot. And that, that will take on a whole community uh, conversation when that happens. And is that a multiple year process then? It can't be done in year one or year two of a Ferrero administration, for example? There's a lot of things that need to be done, like our roads and infrastructure right now, that uh, crime and, and, and the core functions are my main issues that I want to go on to. I do want to find out what it would do to uh, have the cost of either repairing it or replacing it. So that, that I have not seen the figures on. Staying in that core uh, right along Bay Street and as we look toward Gator Bowl Boulevard, we have seen an explosion of development. We also see the land ready for the next big things to come. And they're in different uh, phases of the development process. In your administration, should you be elected, which one do you prioritize over another? Is it possible to even do that when we have so many active development projects right along the North Bank specifically? So North Bank is not just the, the large development area, the whole city is. So we have to find out what would be the best for the taxpayer. So. Um, that's the thing that I'm interested in doing. I don't want to make a rash decision based off of, I think a lot of things have happened off of uh, knee-jerk uh, decisions. I want to make sure whatever we're doing is the best for the taxpayers in the long run because if we put a jail in or we move the sheriff's office, you're talking about that's going to be there for, for many decades. And you say the whole city is priority, obviously, as mayor. Um, but is there any place in particular, any areas that you think there may be blight, uh, things that need some major improvement? Absolutely. So every, all parts of the city have a blight problem. I mean, you can go across any bridge and you can see Christmas trees that are on the sides of it or tires or two by fours. I mean, we have a, we have a big problem with blight. So we, we have to address that. And it has to become really a priority. Um, labor's a big problem that we've had throughout the city. and, and and different companies are having problems with labor, it's where we need to get good people in and attract them. So blight is a huge problem, and if you haven't been in different parts of the city, you can go into the northwest quadrant. There's parts of our city that look like a, a third world nation. Garbage is not being picked up. The sidewalks and streets are in absolutely uh, decaying uh, parts. So we do need to, to address those, but that's not just in one part of town. There's pockets of that all around the city, and they need to be addressed. Is that partly a function of the negotiated contracts with some of the waste hauling companies, recycling companies? Will you work to renegotiate any of those? And is it time to raise the fees that you and I pay in Duval County to catch us up to where maybe we should be in terms of the, uh, uh, catching up on the supply uh, of, of these, these blighted communities, as you referenced? So it's not, it's not a one-issue thing. It's not uh, blaming it on a, a hauler. That's not the problem. We have decayed because of, of, of multiple issues. The development that's happening throughout the city, when we have development that's going in and it's changing areas and it's not staying consistent, and I'll give you an example. On our land use and zoning, every two weeks our city council changes our, our future land use maps by spot, spot zoning areas. We had that in my own, my own district over in uh, the Black Hammock Island area where they're putting in small clustered housing into an area that was agriculture and they don't follow what, what has been put forward in the long-term plans. But you also have roads and other types of infrastructure that come in and divide communities and neighborhoods. So it's not just one thing that brings down our community, but certainly 
the city uh, functions that we do or don't do um, can affect the areas. And they, they have to become priorities along with the community representing those areas. So it's, it's a combination of a whole bunch of things that we need to do. And where exactly would you prioritize those road improvements, the septic tank removals? So the septic tank removals are already started, but what I would do that would be different is I would see about ha having some type of hiring through our city or through JEA where we have a septic tank phase department instead of uh, hiring this out separately so that this is going to go on for decades. This isn't something that's going to go on for two or three years. So I would want to, to put aside a, a group through the city or through the JEA so that we have the septic tank phase out where we're hiring through, through our own city and, and creating trades for our young people that they can have this and, and actually work in the communities that they lived in. I think that's a really important thing that I'm hearing not just from me, but from people in our community. We're visiting with council member Al Ferrero, a candidate for mayor, and this is the last day to register to vote for the upcoming March 21st first election. It's a crowded field. It's highly likely that this goes to a runoff in May. And one of the things that April and I are talking with you about, Al, is the, the impact of, of youth in Northeast Florida. We have a median age in the mid to upper 30s, 36, 37, depending on the last census. Are we attracting enough of that talent who wants to go do the non-sexy job of working in solid waste and these kinds of things that are core functions of local government, but might not necessarily come with a lot of the uh, attractiveness maybe from the uh, perception world? So we have been teaching our kids that only going to college and getting degrees are the only important thing, and we have lost out on a lot of our trades. Our public schools, I was part of the public schools where we learned all types of things from welding, woodworking, uh, even, even being able to melt metal and cast different things. We're not teaching that stuff anymore. You have to go to private schools. We need to get back into that area, and we need to um, not take anybody who has a job that is an honest, hardworking, paying job and turn it into something that is, is less than that. And so how do you attract young people here that are going to want those jobs that um, may be able to contribute that way to our, our community? So um, when I grew up in this city back in the 80s, we had a lot of different things that attracted young people. If you went down to the, the river area of, of downtown, you had crawdaddies, you had... Uh, uh, River Rally, you had Diamond Head, you had a lot of things that attracted. It didn't necessarily have to do with buildings, it had with the culture of how we were living and, and having a good time. But also we had a lot of different trades of, of different things that were coming in. So in the past we have kind of moved away from that and I think we need to move back to that and we need to, to hear from, from not just businesses but what people, we need to, to, to try to help out and, and as a government help in, in moving those red tape things that keep, um, I, I would say, it, it, it's kind of stag stagnatizing people who want to do things other than uh, college prep or office type prep. Um, out in the field is, is something that we need help with. We obviously are not tied to any one industry, but the port is a big industry. Logistics, a big industry in Northeast Florida and the Jacksonville metro area. We see the ongoing dredging of the St. Johns River underway, which ideally is gonna be attracting more port business. Do we go further in a Ferrero administration? Do we stop where we are and see what the next five to seven years may ultimately hold in terms of the possibility of expanding at Jacksport and the outer Northeast Florida area? So my district runs both sides of the river, the only district that does that. So the port is part of that. And I think we're in a good place of having the deepening of where it needs to be. Um, I was the uh, chairman of the Waterways Commission for five years, and I understand the importance of what the dredging does, but I also understand uh, what resiliency does and, and how that works. So 
you have to have a balance of what works for both, what works for, for commerce, but what works for our resiliency. And I think we're in a pretty good place. My, my biggest concern is some of the construction that's going on. And if we get a chance, I'd certainly like to get into uh, the sale of JEA and a few things that we have there. Oh, we got a whole lot more time that we're going to dive into, including the JEA issue and uh, crime, infrastructure, and much more. Our conversation and our spotlight with the candidates running to be Jacksonville's next mayor continues. Rich Jones alongside April Davis. We're in the Farrah and Farrah Performance Studio. We'll break now, and as we return, we'll have a chance to dive into what was a very eventful last several years with the city-owned utility uh, Jacksonville uh, JEA in Jacksonville and where the council member stands on the future of privatizing these types of industries on 104.5 WOKV. Back to more of You Decide 2023, the race for Jacksonville mayor. Our special edition of Jacksonville's morning news continues on 104.5 WOKV. Let's return to the Farrah and Farrah Performance Studio. Here's Rich Jones and April Davis. We've got a lot of big topics that we're addressing with each of the candidates who are working to secure your vote, whether you will be voting by mail, voting early, which begins on March 6th. The election is four weeks from the date of this broadcast, or if you're watching again, March 21st, and you can uh, connect with all of the resources available to you, uh, Duval County registered voters, uh, in our voter guide at WOKV.com. As we went to break, April, we were talking with Al Ferrero, Jacksonville City Council member who is in his second term, nearing the end of his second term, about some pretty weighty issues, the Sheriff's Office crime, but then also JEA and the failed bid to sell it or privatize it just before the pandemic started. That's right. We know and we've reported that the former CEO and CFO have a criminal case pending, and we shall see how that turns out. But in the meantime, we have to figure out, you know, what's the best way as citizens and as the city council and maybe future mayor, how do we run this utility that serves Jacksonville, because everybody's got to keep the lights on. This is important to everyone. And so you wanted to talk a little bit about how it could be privatized. So you have to understand how JEA came into power. Um, it ended up getting its franchise agreement. There used to be a lot of small utility companies that JEA ended up acquiring. So that's how JEA became uh, JEA, through the acquiring of all the franchise agreements in the city of Jacksonville. So what's happened is they, they tried to sell JEA twice, and that was unsuccessful. So what they've realized that they can do is to start taking the franchise agreement away. And as these developments come into the city, and we've had this happen already, to where as the developments happen of, of 11,000 to 7,000 new units that will come in, sometimes they'll put in a, um, uh, a separate uh, facility to handle the wastewater. And what ends up happening is they build it and then JEA acquires it. Well, what they wanted to do is build it and keep it and keep that franchise agreement. So right now, JEA can be sold at 1% or less at a time and going through the franchise agreement and reversing how JEA became on there. We had Jay Stowe who came back in 2021 in front of our land use and zoning where they were trying to push that through. And it actually got passed through, through land use and zoning, but it got withdrawn before it came through council. So JEA will try to be sold again. It's, it's, it's worth too much money. It's owned by the citizens. And there are people and there are politicians who want to get hold of that money. So it will, it will be sold through the franchise agreement at small increments until it gets to a percentage to where JEA has a problem with it. So make no mistake, JEA will come up for sale. And when you have people say, well, I'm tired of hearing about JEA, this is the only authority out of all the authorities that puts money into our city. 
and you you have elected officials trying to get rid of the golden goose. It makes no sense. So what role then does the incoming mayor play in this franchise agreement, renegotiating it, making sure that it sticks, and ultimately, if indeed the goal is to keep JEA as the city-owned utility, what role can one person, when you have a council of 19 and uh, building a community here in Northeast Florida of registered voters, what role then specifically does the mayor play in all that? Great question. So the mayor has a lot of power and veto. You haven't seen that happen on bills that come through because normally the city council passes it and the mayor just has it go through. There's, there's not been anything to uh, uh, get the mayor involved that, that has got him involved to actually veto something. So what could I do as mayor? So say the city council does push this through or it does pass it. And, or things like it. It doesn't just have to be that. It could be something that goes against what our community uh, needs. The mayor has the veto pro uh, power to do that, but also has the stage to get up and do just what I did, explain. There's a lot of times we have bills that come through that the city just doesn't do a good enough job explaining to the citizens whether it's good or bad. Sometimes it's not a matter of pushing a bill forward. Sometimes it's gonna be important to block something that comes through that's not good for our, our community. And we understand that we understand bringing this information to you. So we're so glad to have you here, uh, Councilman uh, Al Ferrero with us today, candidate for mayor. And so uh, crime, you said, was one of your um, uh, main priorities. And so how do we make sure that the police are funded appropriately? Do you think they have what they need now in order to fight the gun crimes that we're seeing? Um, and you know, obviously there's been a lot of publicity about uh, violence and brutality by police. So uh, first question is, do we have enough? Our city is growing in such uh, big portions. For example, when I sat on land use and zoning, I think I said to you earlier, we have between 3,000 and 4,500 new residents coming here that we know of, of new building permits every two weeks. And what ends up happening is you have other people that are moving in, staying with family or, or or doing things that are outside the city that we don't know of. So you think about that with how large our city is. If we just keep the police at where they're at, they're, 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 they're always going to be less police. So what we need to do is bring in, I, I think, at a minimum of 200 to 250 new police officers just because of the growth. And that's not going to cost us anymore because if you take all the new development and you take all the new houses that are coming in with all the new taxes, it should, it should offset it without a problem. So it's not one of these things where we're going to add police and it's going to cost us more. We're already getting the income of, of people moving here to Jacksonville. As far as uh, when you have some bad apples that you, you brought up, listen, in anything, you're going to have it in pol politics and medical and police. If you have bad apples, you need to address it. As the mayor, as the number one elected official, you have the opportunity of using that pulpit, of coming out in front, and, and if something's bad, talking about it. If something's good, or if there's a pathway of fixing something, we need to get our, our community together. And I will tell you, in District 2, we have a wonderful group of, of people that we represent of all colors. And, and you know, right now you talk on a black or white that's happening on the city, but you're, you're leaving out so many other people. We have so many other nationalities of Asian, Island Pacific Islanders, uh, 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 Filipinos, uh, you, you name it. We've got so many different groups of people that you can't narrow it down to just black or white. Our city is a melting pot. So if, if something is good or bad, we need to be able to talk about that and have that in a form to where it's like a family conversation, not like a political conversation. A couple of follow-ups on that point, uh, on, on the law enforcement and, and police officers, boots on the street. 
Sheriff's Office having trouble continuing to attract and retain officers. A number of unfilled positions, likely in the hundreds, with as many who, who work for the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. If you're going to add 200 to that, where in the world are you going to attract the talent? What relationship do you want to have as the mayor of Jacksonville with the sheriff of Jacksonville, T.K. Waters? So you want to have a good relationship working with, with all of them, not just the sheriff, but, but all the other people that are working underneath him. And by paying them more, that's one of the things where we need to start. But also in our jail system where we have our correctional officers, they need to be brought up. So when we're talking about first responders or we're talking about police, we have to include them in that conversation because we are desperately short of people on corrections as well. So what's happening is we're paying as a revolving door where we're training officers to come here and who would not leave who who wouldn't leave to get a better paying job someplace else so what what's happening is we're training them and other um, departments are are saying hey we'll pay you more now that you have it and we're bringing they're bringing them on so we need to retain these officers and keep them on and we don't have a lot of time left but i just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about why he wants such a huge job clearly we could talk about so many uh, issues facing the city but uh it's a huge city and it's a huge job why do you want to be mayor of jacksonville Good question. I was kicking and screaming coming to uh, the office as a council member. I really didn't want to do it. Once I got in it, I realized I could help people out. It's not like I have to go out and dig the ditches to get them cleaned or repave the roads myself. I just need to make sure departments are actually doing that. As a council member, I got more roads and infrastructure done in four years than, than council members who did it in 12 before uh, term limits. As a mayor, that's all you have to do is make sure people are doing what they're supposed to be doing and making sure the departments are working. After we went through civil unrest, after we went through the botched sale of JEA, after you've seen all these things that were happening with COVID and lockdowns, I wanted to get behind somebody and there was not somebody out there who was gonna do it. So I decided with my family and a lot of friends who got behind me and said, we'll help you do this, that I was gonna run for mayor. And we've got enormous amount of people in our grassroots that are helping us out. So this is something I want to do. I want to have a better city. I want it to be safer, cleaner, all the things that everybody would want to have. And I think we can do this. Where can a possible voter and supporter of Al Ferrero find more information about you? AlFerreroForMayor.com. Um, they can reach out to us and they can join us, either financially help us, they can help us through uh, joining our grassroots efforts, holding signs, going out door to door, all these different things that we have. And we would, we would just love to have anybody join us. We appreciate your opportunity to, or your uh, time to come in to the uh, Fair and Farrah Performance Studio for April Davis, Rich Jones, Al Ferrero, the candidate for Jacksonville Mayor. And again, our Candidate Spotlight series will continue over the coming days and the next couple of weeks before early voting begins on March 6th. We're four weeks away from Election Day, the first election in Duval County on March 21st. Connect with resources, what you need to know about the candidates, and much, much more in our voter guide at WOKV.com. Thanks so much for your time and attention. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.